the word of the Lord today. Amen. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17. I've tried. I made sure. I told the Lord. I said, Lord, I haven't been preaching a while. Make sure this is all you and not just pent up energy from me. And so uh, I've, I've been careful to make sure that that hasn't, uh, that isn't the case. Isaiah 48 and 17. Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Say this part with you. Read this with me. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Isaiah spoke to a backslidden Israel and said, I've got something the Lord has put on my heart that he wants to speak to you. And here's what he says. I'm your Lord. I'm your God. I'm your Redeemer. And I'm the Lord your God. And then he makes this statement, who teaches you to profit. And I want to preach about that for a little while today. When God teaches you to profit. When God teaches you to profit. How many of you want to get ahead? How many of you like living from behind? Anybody feel overwhelmed at times? Anybody know what it feels like to be overwhelmed, whether it's your job or even your spiritual life? I'm going to tell you the word of the Lord is going to give you a different perspective today that God never intends you to live your spiritual life from behind and from underneath, but always from ahead and above. That's God's will for us today, and we're going to ask him to help us. Lift your hands to heaven, and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. It is already settled in heaven, God. There is nothing we can add to it or take away. It is powerful in its own right. And so, Lord, we just ask you to let revelation come to our hearts and our minds. Let it, the word do its perfect work in us. Let it explode into everything that we need as individuals today. And we're going to give you praise and glory in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Clap your hands to the Lord and let's praise him for his word. Everybody excited about the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. You know, I think, and this is only my observation, but just as one who is in a position to observe people in their spiritual walk and, and their, their spiritual events of their life and their efforts, I think we, we live in a Christian generation that is a just enough generation, it seems to me. It, and and, and you, you think with me, it's in our songs, um, it's in even our sermons. They're all about God coming through for us. Um, he won't leave you when you're in trouble. Man, do we talk about trouble. Don't we talk about trouble a lot? And rightly so, there's a lot of it in our world. Anybody, you know, you old, old timers, you'll remember this one. Anybody remember that song? He's an on time God. Anybody? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there, there they are. There they are. You know that song. We sang that because there are times where we were fretting about whether he was coming or not. And, and, and we went through times where we thought God ought to come before he came, but he did show up just when he needed to. We've got songs about storms and Songs about struggles and sermons about fights and sermons about shortages and shortcomings. And it's all wrapped around this idea of, of, of God being enough to meet our struggle. Enough to champion against any challenge that we have. Enough to answer the questions that are before us. Maybe even enough if it's really bad, 
He's enough to get me through this day. Anybody? Come on, if you've been there, wave your hand, testify. He's enough to do all that, enough to address this season in my life. And when I think about all that, it seems to me in some ways for folks, the idea of a spiritual life, or maybe it's a trap we can fall into, or a spirit-led life is one, if you're not careful, it's one, you start thinking of your spiritual life as it's just this thing where I'm, I'm trying to keep my nose above water. I'm, I want to breathe and make sure I get the next breath, which actually in some ways makes it very convenient for us because if all you have to do is survive, nothing else is expected of you. I mean, really, I mean, do you go to a drowning person and say, why aren't you doing more? No, you, you look at them and say, oh, hopefully you can get out of trouble and how can I help you? It, 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 it makes it very convenient for us. So you end up with this life lived towards Christ with, as a life of lived in minimums and in, the, in the, the least amount, you end up thinking thoughts like, what's the least I can do? And, or even worse, what's the most I can get away with? You, you cover the minimums. Just give me the, give me the minimums so I can make it instead of the maximum that I could do to shake my world or to make a difference around me. I could just tell you this. God wants the second of the two. God wants, God, God never intended for you just to struggle and make it. That was never his, listen, if, if redemption is just about us making it, then I think we're missing it. Because I think God had more in mind when he redeemed my ugly carcass. He had more in mind than just to make sure that I kept my nose above water, Brother Melder. I think he had a great goal and plan for me that through my, through my problems and through my, my situations and through uh, the struggles, yes, that I might pertain, that God would lift me up above those things and beyond those things. I, I, I'm here to tell you, I'm, I want to preach to somebody and tell you that God has victory ahead of you. That, that God intends for you to be more than just somebody struggling to survive in your spiritual life. There's something great coming to your life. There's a destiny that God wants to pour out in everybody here right now. Oh, listen, you ought to let faith rise up in you. I want, I'm here to bring you some good news that it's not all struggle and it's not all trials and it's not all tests that you can walk from faith to faith. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say, he's just saying there's more. There's more than that. God wants the second of these two that we change our minds about what living for him is, that it is something that involves what, what's the most that could happen? I mean, what would happen in your life if you started thinking that way? What's the most that could happen today? What's the biggest miracle that could happen in my life today? What's the greatest thing that God could do through me? What if you woke up on Monday morning and say, I wonder how many people are going to get healed when I pray for them today. I wonder what would happen to all of us if we started saying, you know what? I'm not a loser. I'm not behind. I'm not underwater. I've got the God of the universe beside me. Yeah. God wants the second of those two. He did not carve out humanity from the dust just so they could get by. Even dealing with our disobedience and separation for him, he didn't devise a plan to come and wrap himself in flesh just for us to struggle to get to even a, a moment of strength in our journey. 
He, he intended a life lived in his righteousness, covered and deemed and declared by him. I, I'm telling you, if your mindset is, I'm just struggling, struggle, struggle, struggle. I'm just going to tell you, he's a better savior than that. I just want to tell you, he's a better Lord than that. He works more than just the minimum to those that help him. Here's a newsflash for all of us. And we sing this song too. My God is more than enough. I said more than enough. Somebody ought to let faith get up in you today and say, you know what? I'm tired of this struggle. I'm tired of going from day to day wondering if I'm going to make it, wondering if I'm going to stay in this thing, wondering if my faith's going to be there in the morning. I'm deciding right now. God said I could have more. God said I could be more. Come on, clap your hands if you're there right now. It is a trap. It is a trap to think that faith only operates in need and necessity. You think about it. When we talk about faith, it's always when things are bad. That's when faith, you know, you got to have faith. Come on, just faith. Faith is always. What happens when faith, we understand that faith is about accomplishing things more than just the necessary and more than just meeting the problems and more than just meeting the challenges. I'm going to tell you what happened. Blind eyes start to be opened. Deaf ears start to be unstopped. The dead are raised. The lame walk again. People receive the Holy Ghost. Entire cities come to God when people realize faith is for more than just me maxing out my problems but faith is to make sure that the kingdom of God is advanced come on somebody I'm here to preach to you and tell you God intends that when everything comes against you for there to be something left over because somebody might say I want something left over I wonder we struggle if that's our mindset how can your spiritual life get better if you're constantly just trying to survive. It's just not God's plan. And Paul would reiterate this, I believe, in Romans 8 when he said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, and then he names all the stuff that we whine about. Tribulation, oh man, not just trials, tribulation. He just had a tribulation, no. Distress, no way. Persecution, uh uh-uh. Famine, no. Nakedness, peril, sword, no. He said in all these things. Somebody say all. Look at your neighbor saying all that stuff. He said we are made, listen to what he says, made more than conquerors. I like that phrase right there. That's more than a winner. I'm going to do more than win, Brother Nate. I'm going to be more than a conqueror. I'm going to tell you what that looks like. That looks like not just getting the ground that I have and maintaining my space, but that sounds like taking territory. That sounds like moving into the kingdom of darkness and taking territory for the kingdom of God. Somebody say more. Above and beyond, that's God's thinking. And Paul latched onto this. He said unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according, and this is important, to the power that works in us. God's trying to work something in you. Woo! Ronnie, you ought to be excited right there. I know you are. I can see it on your face. You're just kind of holding it in a little bit. You ought to get excited that God has a plan to work more in you. When you wake up in the morning, I don't care how much has been done, God's got a plan to work more. I don't care if you've been on a spiritual high for six months. You wake up the next day, God's got more in store for you. 
Somebody say more than a conqueror. Above and beyond. It seems that he has higher goals for us than we're giving him the go-ahead to do. That when the expenses of our trials, our tests, our struggles, our flesh, our failures and stumbles, when all of those things are deducted from the income of his blessing, of his salvation, of his power, his healing and his provision, that at the end of the day, when he reconciles the account of our life, there is something left over. That even when everything in hell gives its best bet against us and puts its best foot forward, that there is more that God has put in us than hell or our lives has tried to drain from us. In the financial world, we call this profit. That's how you stay in business. There's too many people going out of business today because they're allowing the expenses. They've shut off the income and they've increased the expenses and then all of a sudden that doesn't work. There's nothing left over and you get in debt. But when you open up the floodgates of heaven and allow God to do everything he wants to do, I'm telling you it's always greater than anything this world could ever put in front of you to deter you or detract you from your spiritual life. I'm telling you when God teaches you to profit, when God teaches you his way. I mean, when you get done, there's some left over. Look at your neighbor and say, you need some left over. God wants to teach us to profit. Now, we've talked about this before, both in lessons and preaching. The Hebrew language is what we would call word poor. Uh, for instance, the English language has over 171,000 currently, 171,000 words that, that, that it uses, the English language. It's bigger and more complex every day. And we keep adding all these slang terms and stuff so it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I, I walked into my niece's house today, the other day and she told me my shoes were drippy. I said, thank you, I think. Come to find out, come on kids, it's either out of their head. I guess, you remember, okay, let me go back to my day. Remember radical, cool, awesome, neato. All right, drippy. I don't get it. Sounds like a faucet to me, but my shoes were drippy. English language, we, we come up with all kinds of words for everything. But the Hebrew, Hebrew language, especially of the Bible, had just 7,000 words. 7,000. But those words were much richer than drippy. And they, they speak to a whole myriad of thoughts. Hebrew words explode into whole realms of thought. Whole word pictures spelled out by just one pronunciation of one word or a few syllables. The, when you define the word teaches here in our text, it means to goad, to, to teach, yes, but to instruct diligently, expertly, and skillfully, but in a very forward manner, as in an ox goad. So this is a mean teacher <laughs> come, come really when you define it. This is something that is not suggested. This is something that is instructed. This is something that demanded. So God, this is a serious thing. God, when he says the Lord teaches you to profit, he goads us into it. The profit means to ascend, to be valuable, useful, to be benefit, to set forward that you can do, that you can be, have, and, and, and be profitable. 
And so I read this scripture not too long ago and it just stuck with me and said, God wants to teach his people to be profitable. I felt like he kept saying, tell them I want them to be profitable. I want them to profit. That's what I want to teach them to do. If they'll listen to me, I'll teach them how to profit. I'll teach them how to have something left over. I'll teach them how to do more than just survive and keep your nose above water. And I I started asking the Lord how, and, and literally, I really feel like the Lord gave this to me. The Lord gave me three words in my mind when I, when I asked him that the words were restraint, release, and remembrance. How are you going to teach us? Through what will you teach us how to profit in our spiritual lives? He said, I'm going to teach you the effort and the art of restraint, the effort and the art of release, and the effort and the art of remembrance. In other words, learning to tell yourself no, learning to let some other things go, and focusing on what you really know. Restraint, release, and remembrance. When I think of restraint, here's what I understand. That I profit when I learned to hear God's no's in my life. I know God is a God of blessing. I know God is a God of provision. I know God gives and gives and gives. But here's what you need to understand. If you're going to build profit, spiritual profit in your life, there's sometimes that God says no. There's sometimes that God says, thou shall not. Anybody ever read those words? Anybody ever realize that God's got some things he doesn't like and he's got some things he knows that'll harm us? And so there's sometimes he just says no. He says no in his word. He says no in his preaching. He says no in his leading. He says no in the congregation. Now no is is negative to most of us. But did you realize, do you remember that Galatians 5 tells us That self-control is a result. It's a fruit of the Spirit. See, no is a better answer than what you think. No is a great answer when your yes is going to violate God's Word. You ought to thank God for a no when your flesh is trying to say yes to something that's going to bring spiritual destruction to your life. There are some of you that are saved for God, will oh, that are saved for God. There's something in us that there's some things that are always going to be a no. Listen, He changed us. When you receive the Holy Ghost, he changes you. And some things automatically are, no, what I used to be, I cannot be anymore. This is what Paul meant when he said, such were some of you, but now you've been washed. There's some no's that'll save your life. There's some no's that'll change your life. No makes a lot of sense when I realize my body's not my own. Of course there's a no. I realize my mind has been given to Christ. There's some no's involved to that. That my life has been consecrated and dedicated and reserved for the kingdom of God. That's going to produce some no's for you. You're not going to be able to walk everywhere you used to walk. Say everything you used to say. Be everything you used to be. And some of you today, you'll stand up and say, thank God it's that way. Because what I used to say, what I used to do, who I used to be was leading me in a way that was going to destroy me. But thanks be to God that gives me the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says no. No is a good answer when, when yes is just, it's not bad, it's just not the best. Sometimes yes is not the best. Some folks have, uh, have, have more than you need. Later comes from telling yourself no for now. Here's what I mean by that. There are some things that are just about the timeline. I wish, I wish that I, well, Lord help me. I've been in circumstances where I've been, been, had the opportunity to provide counsel. 
And all I wanted to say to him was, it's not the right time. I can't tell you no, but it's not the right time. And I can tell you that when you say, when you say yes, when God's trying to tell you no for now, you might as well be a no and disobedience to a sin somewhere else. How many know what I'm talking about? When you ignore what God, God, the Bible said he wants to lead and guide us. Hello, to lead and guide us. Sometimes there's, it's not that the destination is wrong, it's that the path isn't right. And sometimes it's gonna take a little bit to navigate around the booby traps and navigate around the landmines so you can get where God wants you to go. But if you get impatient and you start doing things your own way, your yes becomes destructive because you couldn't hear no for now. Everybody say no. God said, here's how I teach my people, people to profit. Here's how I teach people to have something left over is when they hear the no's that I speak into their life through the man of God, through the word of God, through their own prayer when they hear, when I restrain them. The second word he said, talked to me about was release. God teaches us to profit by showing us how to release what holds us back. Because sometimes it's not about anything else except the stuff that we're holding on to. Holding on to views, holding on to hurts, holding on to habits. There's nothing worse than somebody that's grown out of their clothes. You've seen them. If it's a little kid, you just say, oh my, somebody needs, that mama needs to buy her son some, some new jeans. They've turned into shorts. You know what I'm talking about? But when it's a full grown adult, You want to say, do they not look in the mirror before they came? I'm trying to be kind. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying it's obvious most of the time to everybody else when you've outgrown where you're at. You need to hear something right now. Some folks are held back for what God wants to do in their life because they're holding on to things that God told them to let go of. They're growing out of things that they felt so comfortable with for the longest of times. And now when God challenges and pulls them up and pulls them forward, they strain against that old season, that old hurt, that old habit, that old bitterness, and they can't get any further than where they're at. There's nothing worse than that. That's why the, 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 the writer of Hebrews would say, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let's lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He spoke this in the context of Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter, the heroes of faith. He talked about how many of them lived their whole life of faith and died not wavering in that faith, never even receiving the promise that they were believing for. And Paul says, since all of them will stand in judgment of us, here's what we ought to do. We ought to take the things that we're holding on to. We ought to take the bitterness that we're holding on to. We ought to take the hurt that we're holding on to. We ought to take the comfort that we're holding on to. And we ought to lay it aside because there's a race to run. God's got a finish line. He's got a finish line in mind for all of us. 
Let us lay aside every weight, the sin which ensnares us. Holding on at best slows you down and at worst turns you around. The truth is this. I don't have to sit here and go through a list today. I don't have to sit here and, and get all, all, you know, uh, uh, get a spirit of prophecy on me and get beady-eyed if that's what prophets do. I don't know. We always say they're beady-eyed. I don't have to have a spirit of prophecy to know this truth. You know what's holding you back. I have observed and, and, and known people and dealt with people long enough. I get so sick of those two words, Sister Rose. Listen, here's what needs to happen. You need to look at the word of God. I know, I know there's people know. They know, they already know. They don't need a pastor to tell them. They don't need a preacher. They don't need a, and then some magic moment, somebody finally comes up with the right words or the situation gets bad enough. And all of a sudden, what they already knew now is being performed. Here's what I'm gonna tell you. Why don't you take a shortcut? Why don't you decide right now what you know? Why don't you know what's setting you aside? You know what's weighting you down. Listen, the sin, it's a sin. Adultery is adultery. Lying's lying, cheating's cheating. You don't need anybody to tell you and preach you a magical sermon and detail out what's holding you back in your life. You know exactly what's going on in your life. You know how you feel when the preacher preaches and you know you gotta go to the yard but the restraining, the, the confining that pulls you back. You know exactly what you're dealing with. Why don't you be honest with God? Why don't you be honest with yourself and realize this? There's some things that if I'm gonna get ahead, if I'm gonna have something left, I'm gonna have to let go of them. I'm gonna have to release them. I'm just gonna have to forget it. Say, oh, pastor, that's an easy answer. No, that's the answer. Paul said, brother, not, count my, my, not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do. Forgetting. I'm about to save you months of therapy. Dr. Neal, go tell all your patients this. You probably already do. Forget it. Oh, you don't know. You don't know what I've been through. I care what you've been through but I don't care what you've been through. Forget it. You, you, you don't know what they said. You know what they did. You don't know how I'm feeling. You don't know the pain. And all that may be correct. But Paul just said, you know what? You talk about somebody who's been through pain. You talk about somebody that's been betrayed. He'd been beaten. He took stripes for Jesus. And he looks at all that. And he said, you know what? This one thing that I do. I, I'm not perfect. I haven't made it. But here's what I figured out. Forget the things that are behind me. And I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, I don't care what you're holding on to today. Apostle Paul says, you need to drop it and forget it. You need to put it in the past and let it go because your future is way more valuable than what you're holding than what you're holding on to. God's got a destiny that you cannot number. He's got a destiny that you cannot match. Help somebody right next to you right now and just say, hey, just forget it. Just forget it. Let it go. Forget it. God says, I teach my people to profit. I teach them to have something left over because they learn, they learn to restrain themselves and, and they learn to release what's holding them back. And finally, they make it a habit to remember what they do know. If you're not careful, you'll listen to voices in this world. 
And the more you listen to them, the more they will drown out what you already know, what you thought and knew was, was deep-rooted in your heart. I would love to tell you, thank God for Bible quizzing. Thank God for it. And the statistics are staggering. The amount of kids that go through Bible quizzing. And, and they, they, as Avery said, they go into ministry. They go into churches. They're, they're, they're wonderful saints of God. They stay in faith. But it's not 100%. They're still, is, is that amazing to anybody else? It is amazing that you could memorize 4,000 scriptures or 5,000, however many over a Bible quizzing. I don't even know. I'm probably cutting it short. How many over a Bible quizzing uh, 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 um, period, whatever? How long? How many scriptures in that time over that career? How many scriptures? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Yet what is it, like 98 or 90%? There's still one or 2%. That get, that get distracted, that get detoured. How is that possible? Well, the truth is we all know how it's possible. That's how everybody, that's how it happens to everybody. You can have the strongest of faith, the best of preachers. You can have a great church family and still fall out if you're distracted and you allow voices that are not of God to speak to you. You better be careful. I'm telling you, as your preacher and your pastor, be careful who you allow to speak spiritually into your life. Be careful what you draw from and the well you drink from. You listen to me right now. Truth is truth. And anything that gets outside of this word of God, it's garbage. It's trash. This is the only thing that is true. Jesus said his prayer for his church was this. Father, sanctify them. Set them apart by thy word because thy word is truth. There ain't nothing that's going to save you more. There ain't nothing that's going to direct you more. There ain't nothing that's going to give you more revelation. Ah. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to remember this. God teaches me to profit. He teaches me to excel by reminding me of what I already know. There are people who run out of spiritual gas and motivation because they forget what they know. And this word of God was the answer, Jesus' answer for all of that. Careful what voice you lend yourself to. Here's what's hard. And maybe this is too transparent. I pray the Lord, don't let me. I don't, I don't want this to be self-promoting or position-promoting or anything like that. But here's what frustrates me as a pastor these days. Anybody can say anything to anyone at any time. It used to be that you went to church and you got your spiritual explanation and your guidance and your leadership. Now, you just click your mouse. You just pull up on your phone and there's idiots all over the world that have got cameras and they spew venom and false doctrine and they speak well and they've got good theatrics and they've got good lighting and they seem prominent. Their website is second to none. And all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you're wowed by the presence on the internet, not understanding that there's no presence of God in it. 
Now, I'm going to be very careful here. I hope this church knows my spirit and my motive. But there's only two places you ought to be getting your spiritual direction. That's the word of God and that's your pastor. You got any questions? Then listen, you go to the, here is your research. Here is your proof text. Here is your book. And if there's questions on that, my office is open. Because here's what I don't want. I don't want sheep going astray. You're looking at a pastor that loves you. And I'm charged. I wouldn't even say all that. God help me. I wouldn't even say all that. But, but I, I'm pretty serious. I think God called me to watch over your soul. So when you listen to idiots, I got something to say. When you get direction from somewhere besides this, this Bible and this pulpit, I've got something to say. Because I'm telling you, there's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one word. God has one church. He has got one authority. And listen, you're in a great place that loves God. I promise you, nobody will hurt you in this church. Nobody will deter you in this church. You've got to understand. You've got to remember what you know. Because what you listen to makes a difference. This Bible is your test. This Bible is your research. This Bible is your proof. No wonder Paul said, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. He saw the peril. He said, lest at any time we let them slip. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we preach to you, Paul said, I'll put myself in there. Me or anybody, all of us, let him be accursed. Because he knew that Hebrew scripture, all that said this word of God, it is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. I profit when I stay in the word. I learned to profit by restraining, by telling myself no when it's convenient and no when it's not, by releasing the things that I know that maybe others can't see, but I know they're there that hold me back, and by remembering what I know, telling myself no, letting some things go, and remembering what I know. Here's what's so great about the profit that God builds into your spiritual lives from these things. It's really good when you're being attacked. It really comes in handy to have a little bit extra in the tank when you're being attacked. Can somebody say amen? You look at this world, the Bible tells us that the Satan is going to try to, if he could, even to wear out the saints. Don't tell me that the devil's not working. I know he's working. But listen, that's why this is so important today. You've got to allow God to teach you how to profit. Because it's really good when Satan comes and he starts messing with you. He says, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. You must have me mistaken with some weak fool that you've been messing with. Because I've learned to profit. I've got the God of all the universe inside of me. My burdens will not bankrupt me. 
God has taught me to profit. My problems will not put me in peril. God has taught me to have something left over. Is there anybody in this house that will stand to your feet as we, as we end it today? Would you stand to your feet? Somebody wave your hand and tell me, I've got some left over, Pastor. I'm not just struggling. I've got a little bit left over. I don't care what hell's doing out there. I know what God is doing inside of me. I'm going to profit. And God is going to teach me how to do it all more. So how do you use that prophet? It's not there just to fight the battles. There's the promise that comes with God's prophet. In Isaiah's words, he, he lamented the lack of Israel's response. He said, oh, if you, have would, if you would have heeded my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river. And your righteousness, like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand, offspring of your body, like the grains of the sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Why does God use all this imagery? Peace like rivers. Why? Because rivers don't stop. They may ebb and flow, and they may be small streams or go out flood out of their banks, but they never stop. He likens peace to a something that is hooked to a source that constantly feeds it. He likens righteousness, righteousness being right in his eyes, like waves of the sea that are constant. Nobody tells it to go. There's no batteries. There's no, there's no power. There's no electricity. Yet waves hit the shore day in and day out every day, 24 hours a day, 365 days. Where he said, my righteousness is like waves that just keep coming. It's a lot of profit a lot of consistency. Let me ask you a question. Here's, here's one of the reasons for profit. It's not just to bail you out of problems. Profit's for the future. I mean, I hope I won't die a rich man, but I hope I leave my kids something if the Lord doesn't come back. Something. A crust of bread. Something. Anybody with me? Any parents with me? How many parents you got? You want to leave your kids something, right? Not sure what that'll be. Not sure how much that'll be, but when you get to the end of your life, you hope that there's something to pass on. We think that way in terms of finances, but I'm asking you that to think that way in terms of faith. That when you get to the end of your life, you've got something else, something extra, something left over to pass on to that next generation. See, profit is also for the future. Ask yourself this question today. Who else suffers or is set back if you fail? Who gets affected if your faith falters? Because I thought about this and I was thinking about those statements. I really feel like, again, the Lord just put this thought in my brain that your kids, talking to me, your kids will follow your foolishness as well as your faith. So you better choose wisely what you're gonna put out there. Because if you get foolish and inconsistent, they're going to look at that and say, well, that's the way to go. That's the value. That's the normal. That's the moral. But when they see faith, that's also the way they go. Train up a child, right? But listen to me. They'll follow your foolishness too if that's what you choose. They'll follow your bitterness if you demonstrate to them that if somebody says something hard enough, does something bad enough, that this is appropriate to the way to live my life. They'll understand and they will seek to emulate what they see. Folks, school is in session. 
Let's learn to profit. It's God's desire for us to do more than keep our nose above the level of the waves, but to ride on top of that water, right? right? He told Peter, he said, just come on. And it was God's will. On Peter's eyes were on the altar and the finisher of his faith. He could walk above what was going to drown him. But listen to me, the same is for us here today. God intends for us to walk on top, not be drowned by this world. Would you make your way out of your seat today? Anybody want to learn that lesson? Anybody got some things that you need to pray about and say, God, I have got to learn restraint. I've been struggling with that too long. That is, that is presenting itself way too many times. I've got to learn to hear your no. Is there anybody here today? There's stuff you're holding on to. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's things you know God's not happy with. Or maybe it's simple as a weight, a bitterness, a thought, an attitude that you know is holding you back from doing everything that you want to do and definitely what God wants to do. Maybe you just need to remind yourself at an altar today, I know what truth is. I'm not going to waver from this word. I'm not going to waver from this, this truth that has saved me and changed me and made me different and pulled me out of the fire. I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember the things that I've heard. Come on, Lord, teach us to profit. Teach us to profit. Put something in the tank today. Let there be some left over today for your glory and for your power.